Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast where we're talking all things resilience and revolution. I'm Andre. And I'm Trishis. And we are your hosts. And we are joined by a very special guest today. Dr. Rick Hansen is with us. Uh, Dr. Rick Hansen is a psychologist, senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, a New York Times bestselling author. He's also the founder of the Global Compassion Coalition and the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom as well as a co-host as the Being Well podcast, which has been downloaded over 10 million times. Uh, so many times. Dr. Hanson. Well, please call me Rick and Andre okay. and Tricious. It's yeah. really nice to be here. It's an honor to have you. Um, I feel like Drake or Michael Jackson or Beyonce is on the show oh, today. Oh, well, they're like in the, you know, the heaven realm. They have all fame. So. Yeah. Small so. frog in big pond. That's me. Anyway, rivet. So, so wonderful to have you. Yeah. Um, Rick, I want to tell you a little bit about why I wanted to invite you on the show, because this this one is very personal to me, everyone mm-hmm. listening. Uh, and people who are familiar with my story will know, um, I've been an activist in the racial justice space for almost 10 years now. And that began in a way that I believe it begins for a lot of activists with a feeling in your body that says, uh, I'm not comfortable, um, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm livid about what's going on and then getting involved and having even more of that, some maybe even anxiety, maybe even depression. Um, and I didn't really know that resilience was on the table for me personally and for black people who can relate to what I'm saying and other marginalized people that can relate to what I'm saying. So I think I don't even know how I came across the Greater Good Science Center one day as I was looking up uh, things about resilience. And I came across this article. I came across the Greater Good Toolkit. I came across your book at Barnes and Noble. And so um, you are one of those voices that is helping me to understand that resilience is on the table. Mm. And so I wonder if you if we could start with you kind of defining how you think of resilience. Yeah. What are you referring to when you use that word? Yeah. Well, resilience is an internal characteristic made of several different factors uh, rooted in our physical body and especially in our mind. It's harder to be resilient when you're in overwhelming pain or you're uh, ill, right? So the body really does matter. But a lot of the qualities that make us resilient have to do with, we could say, strengths and mm-hmm. mental strengths of different kinds. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, having compassion for yourself. Poof, huge factor of resilience. Yeah. Um, a sense of larger purpose in your life, like, yeah. you know, that you're engaged in. Uh, uh, emotion regulation, you know, being able to manage your own reactions. Mindfulness, huge factor of resilience and my kind of pet favorite because i think of it as the superpower that grows all the other superpowers the uh factor of being able to learn from your experiences Mm. in useful ways including weaving their beneficial changes literally into the fabric of your own nervous system Mm. hardwiring resilience well-being and love and other things into your own heart so that's fundamentally what resilience is and it's for dealing with challenges whether they're on the worst day of your life or every day of your life yeah 
definitely we think of resilience for trauma uh, or buffering against what could be traumatic. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, <laughs> just, you know, I'm a hyper-privileged old white guy. Uh, you know, there's still stuff to swim against, let alone yeah. people who are systematically mistreated every flipping day. Yeah. Uh, challenges in everyday life, you know, dealing with other people, even distinct from racialized sources of stress uh, and setbacks, just dealing with the neighbors, <laughs> dealing with, I think Jean-Paul Sartre supposedly said, hell, probably puffing on his 10, right. 50th cigarette of the last hour, hell is other people. So that's what resilience is about. It's about dealing with challenges so that you can recover from major setbacks and keep going in yeah. pursuit of your own life's aims yeah, in the face of difficulty. Yeah. I, I, I love that you mentioned, you know, that it's kind of relative depending on what people's lives look like, you know, yeah, how challenged, challenged they are and the vulnerabilities that those challenges wear on. Sorry to yeah. interrupt you there. No, it's, it's all good. And I want, I was curious about this because I know that a lot of folks, I think we have this immediate response because, I mean, as you know, there we don't have a lot of black practitioners in your field that are yeah. delivering this message. And so I think sometimes we can feel defensive, like we're just ready to hear someone kind of bypass that experience that we're talking about. Right. And so I wondered what... What kind of encouragement might you give to, let's say that, let's say that there was, that someone was referred, they, they were referring someone like me, me or Trish to you and we're like, oh, I don't know, is, you know, but I'm dealing with this systemic stuff. Yeah. What kind of reassurance would you give to, to us about how this applies to that stress that is directly related to being othered in society, to yeah. systemic issues and structural issues? Yeah. Well, I feel, first off, kind of humbled by your question there, and I'll try to speak to it. Um, you know, uh, first, uh, things happen to us and things happen inside us. Yeah. And as soon as it happens, then a fairly uh, universal cascade begins mm-hmm. of stress hormones, you know, adrenaline, cortisol norepinephrine and so forth, as well as uh, uh, responses in the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, the fight or flight Mm -hmm. branch of the nervous system. So uh, once it happens, those reactions and their effects on our immune system and our mood and getting cranky and understandably frustrated and fed up, et cetera, et cetera, those reactions are pretty universal Mm -hmm. across people. What happened can be very different, obviously. And um, one of the factors of resilience is clear seeing and understanding when, you know, you walk through a room and you start having this funny feeling inside after spending half an hour with the people in it. When you start being able to uh, recognize you walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, whatever, it's Mm -hmm. a it's a nasty duck, a certain, you know, microaggressions, subtle Mm -hmm. forms of not so subtle forms of bias and so forth, being able to name it, whatever the source of the negative 
stimuli that are landing on you, being able to understand it, I'm sure is really helpful. Yeah. So, so my point, I guess, is no matter whether the stresses are racialized, uh, the mistreatment is racialized or other forms of systemic oppression, um, you know, whatever the sources are, uh, the fairly universal understanding of how to deal with their impacts yeah, you know, is yeah. a is 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 a treasure house of resources. Yeah. And if you think about it, if we, you know, we should do everything we possibly can, and I'm engaged in my way, you know, my way in my way to do yeah. that to make the world better. Yeah. But meanwhile, you know, the world's kind of slow to change, and right. um, so the paradoxically, the kind of inner strengths and the psychological tools and the developmental process and the neurological roots of that, that I am interested in, uh, are not, they can be understood as some sort of yuppie luxury item mm-hmm. for yoga camp. Mm-hmm. But actually, the more the world is kicking you in the teeth, letting you down, messing with you every day, yeah. the more we need these individual, these internal, internal, mm-hmm. psychological, emotional, motivational, somatic, cognitive yeah. um, strengths. Inside. Yeah. And if I could just say one more thing about how do you you know, um, how do you trust somebody who looks like me? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, for real. Um, <laughs> it, it, this goes to something I would love your take about it, honestly, which, and I've been thinking more of about course, it yeah. r- related to a lot of stuff. It's this whole idea. There's a Zen saying nothing left out because yeah. of course we're always leaving stuff out, including, uh, I, I love Ta-Nehisi Coates partial definition of privilege as not having to take something into account. Wow. Yeah. I walk down a dark street in the middle of the night. I'm not worried about sexual assault. Yeah. I don't have to take that into account. Um, if someone may have chronic health problems, my wife does. We have to, she has to take a lot of stuff into account. You know, like literally, is there mold in the rest, in the room she's walking into? Whatever. Uh, other things too. Other people often have to take into account things that you don't have to take into account. So how do we widen our awareness? to start taking into account what they have to take into account that you don't have to take into account. Mm -hmm. And are you with someone who's trying to do that? I think that if someone is trying to do that sincerely, like I try to do that sincerely, not because I'm a saint, but because I have, I hate bullies. You know, I I have a moral commitment. (laughs) I I hate bullying. Yeah. All kinds of things. And I, yeah. And you know, I have some knowledge of the racial history in America and it's, it's, it's full of atrocities. Think right. about the terrorism, obviously, and enslavement day to day. So um, anyway, so that would be a question for me. Is the person that you're going to or talking with, are they trying to take into account what they're not taking into account that other yeah. people have to take into yeah. account? And that, in other words, are they open to the whole? Right. Or are they locked into just their little part? Right. And to me, people who are committed to expanding their awareness of the whole, they, they're more trustworthy. Yeah. I think as people to work with and learn from. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think one of um, the first videos of yours I saw was about what to do when you're triggered. And mm-hmm. um, that's a really big one for me. I think that's the hardest thing for me in this space is that I feel um, now I understand, like, I, I feel like I am not safe in a way, even if I'm physically safe, mm. I can feel unsafe in different ways. Um, and something about that video that was um, surprising to me, because certain aspects I kind of had understood, like the sacred pause. Um, but you said 
it was one of the steps. It was like being on your own side, like flexing this muscle of being on your own side. And you said that was especially important for marginalized communities. And so for me, that was one of the things that it was like, okay, he's, he's seeing the bigger picture of this um, and how these things Mm -hmm. are affecting different people um, differently because of structural issues. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that idea of being on your own side and why you think that is especially important for people with marginalized identities. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I think of it a little bit like the pilot light. You know, if that is not burning a little bit, you can bring all the, you know, fuel in the world to a person, but they won't, there's no ignition. They, they won't act on it. And I've uh, met people who were on, they were loyal to others. But to have the same just kind of straightforward quality of being, you know, an ally to somebody, to you know, being supportive of them, having that kind of muscular commitment, you're going to stand by their side. Uh, you're you're there to help them appreciate the big picture. You know, there's so many things are not their fault. Right? It's it's about a screwed up world. It's not about them. You know, that kind of the ways of being. It's hard for a lot of people to be that way for themselves, mm. particularly if they've been socialized or acculturated, like to generalize girls and women to the extent that's a useful mm-hmm. category, um, as well as just about any group that um, is different or so-called uh, in, you know, in terms of the dominant paradigm, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, just the messaging that whether it might be you're here to serve others, not yourself, there could be that kind of messaging. There could be messaging like, oh, it's sinful. It's it's um, to try to take care of yourself. You know, that like that's vain or selfish, right? Or other kinds of messaging that I, I try not to swear on interviews, you know. But <laughs> you may swear. You know, <laughs> oh, that, you know, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but just factually, like, oh, you're, you're worth your shit. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're no good. You're invisible. Just the invisibilizing of mm-hmm. people. Like one of the most horrible things you can do to a person is to act like they don't exist. Mm-hmm. Think of that as a punishment, so-called in like Amish communities, they'll shun people. Yeah. You might know the, shut me up, by the way, if I just am going on too long. Please, but oh no, that's what we're here for. Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> you know what's called the still face experiments in early no. childhood. It, no. no, there's a lot of trippy research that has like as soon as you hear it, you're like oh my god. Okay, <laughs> very straightforward. Uh, Edward Tronic, give credit, uh, researcher. A lot of other other. There's a line of researcher. Basically, mm-hmm. they'll take a little kid, each of us, when we are maybe nine or ten or twelve months old, pop us in a high chair. Okay, bring a primary caregiver, mom, dad, other into the room and then have that caregiver sit in front of the toddler and with a poker face, flat face, kind of like this. What you'll see in your videotapes of all this is that the, the kid initially is a little startled, doesn't quite get it. Within 10 or 20 seconds, the child becomes quite active to elicit a response. Oh, wow. When the parent, you know, like, are you there, mom? You know, hello. Um, when the parent doesn't respond, then the child escalates in various ways. 
depending on the child, their history, and whatever, by 45 seconds, the child's collapsing. That's the worst. You never want to see fragmentation and collapse. I'd rather have a pissed off client than a depressed, let alone dissociated, you know, mm. collapsed. Right? right? Uh, in any case, it's so intense. The like, they had to stop the experiments because oh whoa, this is oh my god, we had no idea this was so upsetting. Yeah. Right? But just wow. think about the implications, yeah. including in you know, adults were more resilient, okay. yeah, typically, mm -hmm. uh, different. Reasons, including more regulation of our nervous system, just literally, physiologically, cellularly. But in any case, wow, to feel that you don't exist, you're not seen. Mm. You're, you're not even in the category. You're not even named, you know, to oh, be wow. disappeared. So then you feel like, well, who am I to be on my own side? It's super undermining. So that's why it's especially important to yeah. get on your own side, to be for yourself, much as you would be for people you care about in your life in reasonable ways. Doesn't mean becoming some kind of arrogant, self-centered right. jumbo narcissist. No, <laughs> actually, when people are kind of have that dignity and self-respect mm -hmm. of being on their own side, they, they, they stay out of stupid quarrels with other people because they don't need to prove it. Mm. They, they get less <laughs> reactive to others dissing them. They see it. They don't like it. They stand against it as a from a justice standpoint but more yeah. and more they're like that's your trip <laughs> screw yeah. you wow, i'm good i'm yeah. i am good i am good and i'm on the side of someone who's good with my name tag right. wow that's that's great i need to hear that um I was getting like emotional when you were talking about these babies because Me too. so much <laughs> of my I anger i think comes from not being seen um, yeah. and another thing I was wondering about was, um, I know you talk about anger being sort of this like secondary emotion to, to hurt and, uh, frustration, Often, yeah. but what is the purpose of anger and why, oh, yeah. why are we feeling anger as opposed to like directly feeling that hurt? Right. Great, 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 great. Uh, First, um, uh, I think it's incredibly important when talking about anger with people, especially with people or with regard to issues that are that people who've been told that they should not have anger. Like, again, think of the classic socialization of females, you know, don't be angry, mm -hmm. don't be angry, you know, stuff like that. Or you don't have a right to be there. It's don't worry. It wasn't that big a deal. Think of the way people are gaslighted all yeah. the time, you know, like, oh, why are you so offended? Mm -hmm. I was just joking, you know, mm -hmm. right. Um, <clears throat> something is really important to take that into account when talking about anger. I'm not trying to in any way undermine what people mm -hmm. understandably are royally pissed off about. Uh, I've been meditating, in my case, you know, as a privileged person, long time. And I'm the older I get, the calmer I get and the matter I get at the systemic injustices in the world, you know, that are centuries old and um, thousands of years old. Anyway, so it's, mm -hmm. there's a place for anger. Okay. Biologically, anger has these really useful functions. It highlights issues, right? We start, they become very, we become very aware of the things we're mad about. Okay, that's yeah. useful. Second, it energizes us and it tends to kind of pull people together. Mm. Uh, in effect, if they're sort of scattered or fragmented or spaced out, anger, yeah. they come mm. together. So those are the healthy functions. And anger can also connect people with others. 
who have similar grievances. On the other hand, uh, anger, chronic anger, tends to have fairly toxic effects on your health. Yeah. Uh, and um, it also tends to wear people down. Uh, it's hard to sustain social justice work, you know, intensely more than I do. But if you're always, if you're, if you're invaded by anger, you know, I, I like this line from the Buddha's story of his own awakening as best we understand that these are indeed his words, you know, but let's say they are. He said, you know, as he was getting, he was approaching his awakening, painful racking feelings arose, but they did not invade my mind and remain. Mm. That's the distinction. Mm. Stuff arises. Does it invade us and does it occupy us? Right? Yeah. And that's the key distinction. So anger can invade us and occupy us. Then we're, then we're living in rancor, hostility, ill will, vengeance. Um, it's really easy to have our grievances manipulated by authoritarian demagogues. You see mm -hmm. that in the rise of the authoritarian right in America yeah. in the last 40, 50 years, starting with Nixon's um, Southern strategy, Lee Atwater, yeah. you know. Uh, playing the race card to peel away Democrats yeah. uh, from the Demo you know, in the South, et cetera. Uh, and you can see it in the world today so in other areas. So we're very vulnerable to being manipulated mm -hmm. around grievance and anger. So for yeah. all these things, we need to be careful about, mm -hmm. right? right. Um, so I'm trying to give a hopefully not too long-winded, you know, nuanced answer. There's this proverb that for me summarizes it. Anger with its honeyed tip and poisoned barb. Because... Oh, wow. Anger, unlike the other three major negative emotion bands, fear, sadness, shame, anger, mm -hmm. has reward molecules that are released in the brain when we experience it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like anxious, who wants to feel anxious? You know, I don't right. like feeling anxious. Sad, I don't want to feel sad. Shamed, uh, inadequate, ugh, I don't want to feel that. Angry, yeah. Mm. Righteous anger. Uh, you know, <laughs> so we have to be very careful because it's rewarding. Yeah. And often, it's like you're getting at, Tricia's, um, anger can cover over softer feelings, especially interpersonally, that are the heart of the that are uh, that are the heart of the matter. It's not always the case. I want to be really clear. Mm. It's like sometimes um, it, you're furious about something because it's infuriating, right? Yeah, straight up, boom. It's not because yeah. you had your feelings hurt. It's because right. no, no pass. Uh, but often, you know, I, I know for myself, when I look back at raising kids, you know, they're now 35 and 33, almost all of my mistakes as a dad root began with my anger. Wow. Yeah. I, it's not that I shouldn't have been angry, but that mm -hmm. there were, you know, there were better ways for me to manage it, to articulate it. And also, I it would have been better if I'd been more able at the time to, to talk more about the softer underpinnings of my anger, like feeling let down by my wife in some way, or yeah. feeling like I just wasn't visible to my kids who were teenagers. And of course, I was yeah. invisible. <laughs> That's normal. And <laughs> I didn't like it, et cetera, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So if I, yeah. if we could just say more when it's appropriate, uh, the hurt, the hurt sometimes, or the, the sense of loss or frustration, that if it's under the anger, that can really help, at least yeah. to name it to ourselves. Yeah. What I do you think, Tricia? Did I get at it or? You, you definitely did. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I wonder, as you talk about that, Rick, um, 
sometimes I feel like we live in this tension of what you're talking about of when we're talking about social justice, we're oftentimes rightfully angered, right? Like about something that's happening to us or to our neighbors or in society. And so how do we work through some of those, um, some of those emotions like anger while affirming that it's, it's right, appropriate, normal, maybe even good that it angers us. Um, and also taking care of ourselves without gaslighting ourselves, without bypassing it. Uh, so much about it. And I want to be clear that I don't have the experiences you two have and yeah. many others, uh, in, in, including related to um, um, certain kinds of social justice work. Yeah. I, I have a lot of, I have, I do have anger and I am engaged in social justice work. Mm -hmm. More about the rise of authoritarianism in America. Yeah. And, um, and, and the, the, the callous indifference, which is mm -hmm. appalling yeah. uh, in America to uh, children living in poverty yeah. and um, a, a host of other ways in which America ranks dead last mm -hmm. among other democracies-ish worldwide. Right? Yeah. So that said, I think people vary in their nature. You know, some people, they're just naturally on the temperament spectrum. They're just more, they kind of, anger is closer to them. They're more mm -hmm. centered there. They're centered in a warrior space. Yeah. Other people tend to be a little more anxious, other people a little more melancholy. Um, and it's just natural for them to be like that. Yeah. You know, and so, and I think sometimes we try to fix things in us that are, that's just our temperament. It's yeah. okay. So I think there are individual differences. I tend to be fairly calm, mildly anxious, you know, kind of cheerful mm -hmm. and like, okay, let's make, what can we do to fix things? You know, I, I like that. So anyway, uh, so, but, but other people don't necessarily like that. So it's important yeah. to be who you are, A, B. Um, I think that um, it's really important with negative emotions of any kind to keep prodding ourselves to widen our view. Mm. Because any kind of, whether it's fear, anger, shame, or sorrow, it's going to tend to, because of the negativity bias in the brain, suck us into that one tile blinking red in the inner mosaic of our experience. Yeah. So widening the view, widening the view. And it's also really, I think, important with anger to be careful about the story we're telling ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. That's true about anxiety as well, because very often we overestimate threats and underestimate mm -hmm. our resources for dealing with them. But anger, wow. It's so easy to develop a righteous case, yeah. whether it's, you know, your roommate, um, your parent, your kid, your relative or, you know, them in general. Um, and so, you know, I would say being careful of not being hijacked by righteousness. I think that helps. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think also. How can I put it? The thing that I, I take from the example of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and others like, like him, mm -hmm. John Lewis, bless, his, bless their memories and so forth. Um, what I see in them and what I see, Thich Nhat Hanh, another yeah. great 
peace activist, uh, including ally to Martin Luther King. There's an incredible mm-hmm. photograph of the two of them together when yeah. you may have seen it. Um, so it said they had a kind of confidence in themselves. They knew their cause was just. Yeah. Mm. They knew it was good. They knew their motives were good. Mm-hmm. Right. They had normal human minds, little neurotic stuff mm-hmm. going through every time it was often clouds across the sky, but the sky of mind was good. And mm-hmm. because they trusted in that, they were centered in it. They they that was their motive. I mean, anger, um, there's a line in my book, Making Great Relationships chapter, use anger, don't let it use you. Mm-hmm. Right. They mm-hmm. used their anger. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. but but they, it wasn't the primary engine. Yeah. Of their of their behavior, the, their primary engine was confidence in the justice of their cause and the mm-hmm. the goodness in their own heart and and the goodness in the hearts of the people they had common cause with. That was their primary engine. And I think um, observing history, uh, uh, anger is like a hot fire. You know, it can burn a lot. It can get a lot done, but it's it's hard to sustain a movement if its yeah. primary engine is anger. Mm-hmm. Um, you, in your book about resilience, you named 12 inner strengths yeah. that, are, that are there that we can cultivate. And what I have found really fascinating is about this idea that you can kind of install these strengths. Oh man, you are so in my wheelhouse. <laughs> into, into, your, into your nervous system. You can kind of, um, you can kind of create you know, yeah. uh, a more peaceful, uh, inner experience. Yeah. Um, if you say it that way. And I wonder if you could say more about that. Oh, well, I'm really trying to kind of gate myself so I don't just <laughs> blather on. So I'm going to, this is something I can just really blather on. <laughs> a super short version. Um, work backwards. People might ask themselves these just like, Oh, Hey, what if it were more present in your mind these days would really help? Mm. What are you trying to grow these days inside yourself? What are, might be patience, self-confidence, uh, understanding of others, um, you know, uh, more compassion toward yourself, uh, more sense of inner support? What are, you, what are you trying to develop? Uh, maybe you're trying to be a little more skillful with your partner. Mm. I, I'm still working on that. And so... Then the question becomes, how do you want to grow it? Whatever it is you want to have inside happiness, you want to be happier. You want more calm. You want more inner peace, let's say. You want to, you want to have a deeply felt knowing that you're a lovable, likable, beautiful person, right? Yeah. You want to grow it. How do you grow it? It's very simple. It has two steps, but the second step is necessary. First, you have to experience what you want to grow. And second, you have to internalize it. Or we could say install Mm -hmm. it, receive it into yourself. Bottom line, help it change your nervous system. Without lasting change in your brain, there's no lasting change in your being. Right. There you are. So how do you promote that lasting change? And if you step back and think about it, um, we tend to have many beneficial experiences over the course of a day, unless we're deeply, deeply depressed or running for our lives etc. Um, how many of them sink in? Think of all the self, self-help self books you've read or the, the little nuggets on where mind, body, green or whatever, or <laughs> good conversations with friends, you know, like, 
Um, and how many of them really sank in, you know, yeah. uh, insights like, oh, wow, I need to be easier on myself about that. Or, oh, wow, I need to exercise more or smoke less dope or whatever it might be. <laughs> uh, then does it sink in? That's the thing. And so it, in my material and almost all of it's totally freely offered. And we have scholarships for my online programs for anybody basically who wants one. Um, yeah. uh, this, there's simple ways, but I'll tell you my go-tos. These are my go-tos. Right. So I'm going through my day and I'm realizing, oh, that didn't go well with my wife. <laughs> you know, <laughs> go down a different path tomorrow. That wasn't good. Okay, good. Lesson learned. Or um or frankly, I was teaching a grief and loss workshop online, which again mm -hmm. is freely offered to anybody with financial need. And I had a African American woman uh contact me who's uh who who uh I won't use her name just for her privacy. Yeah. I said, Rick, like your stuff. And what what do you have for folks like me dealing yeah. with the, you know, the grief and the loss, the traumas, the microaggressions, mm -hmm. what in particular could be helpful? So she and I had a dialogue which served me immensely. I learned a lot yeah. from that. Um, and so I um, like that's a learning. You want to get that right. Mm -hmm. Let it land. Or I just went on a meditation retreat, you know, at some pretty for me, far-reaching reflections, insights about uh, shifting from doing to being mm -hmm. as, as, a, as a mode. And I'm a classic doer. So how to be more <laughs> in being than doing. Yeah. How do you help it land? Yeah. My go-tos. Stay with the experience for a breath or longer. Just stay with it. Keep the neurons firing together so they can start wiring together. Yeah. Stay with it for a breath or longer. Second, feel it in your body. Yeah, there's a place for ideas, you know, like I realized in my mid 20s that growing up, I'd been a nerd, but not a wimp. Mm. That idea was really good for me mm -hmm. as a young, I skipped a grade and have a late birthday and, you know, kind of a scrawny kid with glasses, scared of everybody, <laughs> you know, but I was no wimp. Yeah. You know, that's what was important. But, but usually what really matters most to us is how it feels, not just mm -hmm. the idea, but the feeling in the yeah. body. So feel it in your body. That's the second one. Like while you're staying with the experience, try to open to it in your body. And third, um, be aware of what feels good about it or is meaningful. Because each one of those three, the duration of the experience, the embodiment of the experience and the salience and, and reward of the experience, the relevance of the experience. All of those are known factors of lasting neuroplastic change. Mm -hmm. As you engage those factors while you are having the experience, right? While having the experience, engaging one or more of these factors, stay with it for a breath, you know, duration, um, embodiment, uh, reward, relevance, and others. Well, guess what? As you engage those factors, that will increase uh, the likelihood of a physical change in your brain while having the experience so that increase, mm -hmm. so that you learn from it. Mm -hmm. You move from states to traits, right? Which is where the gold is. What you carry with you wherever you go. Those are your traits. So that's so important. And it's so easy for us to forget that second step because we want to chase the next experience or yeah. we're distracted by the next experience where we live in a culture that's always trying to suck us in. The yeah. next, the next, the next, before the present has any time to land. And then also to finish, if by temperament you're more toward the spirited or um, 
ADHD, so-called. I don't mm-hmm. think of it as a disorder, but it's it's challenging, you know, in mm-hmm. cubicle culture and typical classrooms. Anyway, if you're yeah. if that's more your temperament, or you've acquired that temperament by trauma, people who understandably are are having to scan continually to be vigilant. Their nature is to skip from the current experience to the next one. Mm-hmm. So particularly if that's your history, which I would think of would be for many racially and otherwise oppressed mm-hmm. people, it's especially important a few times a day, less than five minutes total a day to, mm-hmm. to steepen your growth curve mm-hmm. as you go through life, through the deliberate internalization of whatever it is you want to grow inside. I think those are, those are great tips that I will try today. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being Amazing. here. I feel like um, Andre and I talk quite often and I feel like we're we're both in a space where we just know in order to keep doing the kind of work that we want to do, there's an amount of internal peace and happiness that we need to be able to sustain yeah. or else it's yeah. just not sustainable to be feeling all of these emotions or letting all of these emotions really overwhelm us. And like yeah. you were saying earlier, kind of like flood our, um, our judgment. Um, so I think your work is just so um, impactful, especially in this space. Um, we don't want to take yeah. more of your time, but we do usually ask one question to end the show. And that is what keeps you going? What gets you out of bed every day? Oh, I have... I've been, you know, I've done a fair number of these and this being with the two of you has particularly touched my heart and has felt like, you know, we, there's a, there's a we here, which feels really good to me. And I feel honored that you would include me in this conversation. Really, I do. Um, And I want to underline something I kind of sort of implied, um, which is, it's, become more and more clear to me just the importance of a kind of a short list of things, you know, and if you'll indulge me for just a second, these Mm -hmm. are the things that do keep me going. In effect, Uh, one is when I look back on my life, which includes some significant mistakes and regrets and remorse, uh, I I ask myself, you know, did I bring my heart to it? Because, you know, I'm getting older Mm -hmm. and you never know. Did I bring my heart to it? Did I try Did I make efforts? And did I learn along the way? Yeah. At least for me, those have stood out as three values. And if you can go through your day, did I bring my heart to it? Did I try? Didn't mean I have to have sweat popping out of my forehead all the time, but did I hang in there? Was I persistent? You know, did I make an effort? Uh, It's, uh, you know, and uh, did I grow? Did I heal at all today? Did I learn anything today? Did I get a little more skillful at anything today? You know, if the answer is yes, 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 that's a good day. Generally speaking, good on you. Sleep well, right? Clean conscience. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. And a second reflection is the importance of um, recognizing that you're a fundamentally good person. Mm-hmm. Wow. We so readily, typically, will grant others the boon of that recognition. Oh, like I can see you're both basically good people. Yeah, you could see it in me pretty fast. Mm-hmm. But for me to see it in myself, that took a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. to help people really appreciate their inherent goodness, whether it's maybe 
grounded in religion, you know, the purity of your own soul or the way God lives through you or however else you relate to it, boom, there's your, you're a good person, you know, and it, that's, it's like the last taboo for people to say to themselves, mm-hmm. use your own name, you know, Andre, you're a basically good person. Tricious, you're a basically good person. And to say it to ourselves, that's hard, but to, to, to live from it. People become less egoic and arrogant and asshole-ish mm. when they know in their bones that they're a good person. Wow. Mm. Yeah, right? And then maybe one last bit. Uh, partly prompted by recent events in the Middle East, but more, but other broader reflections too. Just realize what I said about anger and other negative emotions sucking us into the, to the part and losing sight of the whole. I think it's just really important to keep as a value um, going out to the whole, see the whole, mm-hmm. be the whole, all right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, see the big picture, attend to what's being left out, understand the people who are sick and tired of being left out in various ways, right? And they obviously want to be included in the whole, you know? So anyway, that, that's the last one. And I think that's very relevant for our society. And you can see the, the forces that are so destructive in our culture. Politically, they keep trying to fixate people on one shiny object. See over here, over here, over here, because they don't want you to see everything else over here. It's like, look at this little thing over here. Um, it's not good. We need to see the whole picture uh, in our country, in our communities, in our own minds. If you look at, we often get preoccupied with the one negative bit of ourselves. So we're, we're mad at ourselves about, or we feel, oh, I did so, I suck in that area, you know, whatever. What's the whole? The whole is yeah. good. Yeah. The whole is kind of magnificent. Just walking and talking in the face of life every day is a remarkable accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's, uh, so it gets me going. That's, that's. That's that. Oh, curiosity, joy, um, live until you die. Keep rocking in the free world. You know, may I end with two quotations from two poets? For Uh, sure. Sorry, they're both dead white guys. I'm so sorry. First, we'll accept, we'll accept it. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll allow it. So one is T.S. Eliot, right? Uh, in his religious conversion, but more broadly, he has this fantastic line, teach us to care and not to care. Mm. Teach us to sit still. Teach us to care. I think this is so relevant for social justice work. Teach us to yeah. care. That's the compassion side. And teach us, teach us not to care in the healthy sense of equanimity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not apathy, not turning away, but like the like resting in the ultimate peacefulness that is undisturbable. Teach us to care and not to care. Beautiful. And then this line from Dylan Thomas, um, which is sit, sits on his tombstone, and um, he at the end of this poem he wrote. Time held me green and dying while I sang in my chains like the sea. 
may we keep singing in our chains like this sea. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Rick, for being with us. It's been such a wonderful conversation. I'm sure that we both learned so much and just great to meet you, you know, and um, to hear about your work. Um, everyone listening, you know, you're going to be able to um, follow Rick on his website, rickhanson.net. It'll be in the show notes. And um, please do take care of those resources. I am reading uh, his his book on resilience with his son, Forrest. Yeah. Right now it is wonderful. Thank um, you. I'm in the Foundations of Wellbeing course as well. And I'm mm. telling you, it's, it's working for me. So, you know, this was an un... Uh, no one asked me to give this testimonial. I'm just <laughs> telling you, it's really hopeful. Well, as always uh, as always we're we're glad for you all to listen to the hope and heart pills podcast this show is brought to you in part by our generous patrons at patreon thank you everyone who contributes to help make this happen and you can figure out how to become a patron if you want to do that later i figured out how to end this show it should not have been this hard after five years but of course i want you also always remember no matter what you're going through no matter what's happening in the world a new world is possible it doesn't have to be this way because we are tomorrow makers. Mm. You'll hear from us next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.